0: Hello and welcome to episode 102 of Page One, the Writer's Podcast. I'm Tarek.
1: I'm Marco and thanks for joining us on the podcast where we like to speak to writers of all kinds about their writing careers, how they got into the industry and try and get as many hints and tips from them as possible. Um, We've had a great run of guests recently um, especially celebrating our 100th episode. We had and ranking on and recorded that one on YouTube so you can watch that as a video interview on YouTube last week we had mugs you can yeah yeah that's the downside of watching (laughs) it of course Um, last week we had the brilliant Georgia Pritchett who wrote uh, succession and thick of it and veep and stuff so there's a there's a whole host of different types of writers that we've had on the podcast so please do check out the previous episodes but uh, we have A great guest this week as well.
0: Yes, indeed. We're jumping back into the worlds of books this episode with James Oswald, who uh, has seen massive success with his Inspector McLean series of books, kind of Crime with a Supernatural Twist.
1: Yeah, and he he tells us uh, about how at first there was a real struggle to publish these to Mm. the extent that he actually self-published them, but um, he had huge success with self-publishing and then suddenly the publishers came back knocking at his <laughs> door to try and story, publish him. Isn't it. It's the kind of underdog yeah, exactly. showing
0: the big boys that they're actually written something of value, but they yeah.
1: did it first. yeah, they'd previously dismissed it. So it really okay. interesting talking about that whole process and how he did the self publishing and why he is now happy being traditionally published and the yep. the sort of pros and cons of each approach uh, we discuss that in a lot of depth we also uh, chat a bit about comics because his first actually published written thing was a a future shock comic strip for That's 2000 right. AD uh, and yeah he's, he's kept that love of comics throughout and he, he chats to us about uh, whether he'd like to uh, write another comic in the future so uh, there's a lot in the episode, uh, a lot of advice and James is a lovely guy so um, we'll get straight into it after a quick advert for our writer's notebook but before we do that even I just want to remind you that this is the last week in which you can enter our competition you can find the details on our social media for a whole host of books from previous guests and a signed book from Ian Rankin along with a signed page one notebook what as well.
0: a prize. Exactly. Incredible.
1: So all the details of that are on our social media, as I say, or if you check back on the Ian Rankin episode, the instructions on how to enter are in the podcast description for that episode. The competition is open until Wednesday, the 30th of March, and the winner will be announced next episode. So not long to go, but if you fancy some free books and a free signed notebook, then do enter. I suppose <laughs> um, But but we now we'll get on to the podcast And we'll be back at the end of the podcast With a bit more chat And to let you know about next week's guest
0: But for now, on with the podcast
1: The blank page To some it's terrifying An obstacle to overcome But we prefer to think of it as an opportunity A blank canvas to be filled with all of the adventures And characters in our head So how to overcome that fear? Well we all know the best advice for a writer is Write Seriously, get words on the page and more will follow.
0: But what about later, when you start trying to pull those threads of what you've written together? What about the character you wrote about way back at the start? Who was she again? What was she carrying? And where did she leave the MacGuffin that she now really needs in the third act? Think about all those top thrillers you like to read. Or that amazing drama you just watched. What did they all have in common? Structure and planning. screenplay, a comic, or any other kind of story. We truly believe that when you use it, it will help you get to the main event, writing your story. So we hope this helps.
1: We can't wait to read what you come up with.
0: And remember, every story starts with page one.
1: Did you always want to be a writer? Because in in preparing for this interview, I was reading about your, your background. And obviously, you came to writing... Uh, quite late on?
2: Well, I didn't come to writing quite late on. Um, I, I came to being published quite late. Yeah, on. sorry. That's uh, I, mean, yeah. Um, I, I mean, did I always want to be a writer? I certainly always loved writing from a very early age, making up silly stories and all that sort of stuff. Um, I didn't really think about writing, you know, to a, for a, a wider audience until... I was, I was at university, and so the sort of last couple of years at university, trying to think what I might like to do. And I was heavily into comics at the time. Uh, I mean, I've been into comics since I was in short trousers, but I was really getting into uh, a lot of the American comics then. Yeah. And this had been the, the late 80s. And I remember going to, must be about 1990, 1901 or something, going to a talk at uh, the Central Library in Aberdeen. I was at Aberdeen University. Um, Grant Morrison and Mark Miller turned up and gave a oh, talk about nice. their work that they were doing in AD yeah. at the time. And one of the questions at the end was, how do you get into writing comics? And, and, um, and Mark said, you write some scripts and send them in. So I thought, oh, I can try doing that. Uh, and that was kind of the, so I guess that would have been when I first started wanting to be a writer. It, mm-hmm. sort of, it hadn't really occurred to me that I, the stories that I wrote might have any greater audience than myself until then. Um, and how
0: long did did you spend from from that point? Because your first the two novels that, you, oh, that that you first put out were your first two books in your Inspector McLean series, which you put out yourself, self pubbed them. Yeah. But up until that point, had you been writing stuff? Had you been I, trying to write my, novels?
2: My first published piece of writing that I got paid money for was a Thug's Future Shock in 2000 AD in December 1993. Yeah. So, um, and then I didn't get anything else published until. Um, well basically until natural causes um which i self-published in uh, in 2012 um it, there was a short story originally natural causes that i then expanded into a novel and the the short story was published in a uh, in, in a canadian um sort of fan magazine um in two, late 2006 so yeah I, I i've been writing all of that time um and uh, you know, but just not managing to get published
1: <laughs> well uh, yeah i was going to ask about that i mean did you you obviously were writing stuff and pre- were you on the search were you doing the usual path of sending stuff to agents and and all of that sort of stuff and yeah and i, I did i mean obviously headway? yeah
2: yeah it started started with the comics and i i was kind of focused on 2000 ad because that's what i knew best mm-hmm. and i i was constantly sending them scripts and constantly getting them sent back saying we're not buying anything at the moment. They never said this is this is rubbish or, yeah. or or you know you need to go away and work on your characterization or something. It was always we're just not buying anything at the moment. Mm. And uh, I kind of then sort of moved sideways into writing prose fiction, um, and that that kind of kicked off my first novel, which was a, a, a not terribly good science fiction novel, um, which I wrote in about 1997, something like that. Um, in the early 2000s i moved down to wales um with work and inspired by uh yeah the, the countryside that i was living in the middle of the middle of wales in the countryside outside Aberystwyth up in the mountains and learning the language and that inspired me to um try writing a fantasy series which um has subsequently been published but mm-hmm. i that's what i first started writing yeah, and sending out on on you know, submissions. And I did get an agent based on those, uh, but she didn't manage to um didn't manage to find a publisher for them. And then she she retired from the industry, so I was I was left stranded oh. for a while. Oh,
0: no. Back <laughs> so, to square one at that point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so so at this point you've you've been working on your fantasy novels, you've you've had an agent who's then kind of who's not been able to sell them and it's now left. Was at the point where you thought, you know, what, I'm going to shelve the fantasy novel and I'm going to try my hand at doing this crime? Obviously, you've written the short story. Did you mm-hmm. have that in your mind? You're thinking maybe there's something here I could grow.
2: Well, the the, the 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 key to my switching from fantasy to to, to crime fiction was um, a, a certain um, crime fiction novelist you may have heard of called Stuart McBride. <laughs> um, I, I I met Stuart in Aberdeen in the in the early 90s. He's a great artist, and we we were introduced. Uh, he wanted to, to, to draw comics as well as writing, right. okay. and um, and we were introduced by a mutual friend. And we there was a there was a a, a, a comics manga sci-fi uh, fanzine in in Aberdeen then called um, From the Sublime, uh, and we both contributed to it. And then we we collaborated on a couple of stories that never really got terribly far. Um, then I moved out of Aberdeen. Stuart stayed there. But we kept in touch, and we used to do, send each other our manuscripts for critiquing everything. And then when he got his breakthrough, and uh, Harper Collins picked him up with Cold Granite, his first Logan McRae book, mm. he um, he phoned me up and said, "I've got." A- I've got it. I've got a publishing deal. This is brilliant and everything. And in part of that conversation, he said to me that I should give up with this nonsense, with fantasy, with dragons and sheep and stuff (laughs) and and write crime fiction, because that's where, you know, that's where things were. And um, I took him to heart. And I'd never written any crime fiction before then. I'd I'd read a bit. I'd read some of Ian Rankin's books because my dad was a big fan of them. Uh, And I, I went through an Agatha Christie phase when I was a teenager. And so I just thought, well, I I don't really know what to do, but I had a character, Tony McLean, um, from a comic script that I'd written on spec for 2000 AD, years before. And I thought, well, I'll I'll give that a go. I'll try and find out a bit more about this character. And that's where the short stories came in. I sat down and wrote half a dozen short stories Mm -hmm. to try and work out who he was. And then one of them was Natural Causes, which um, I then expanded into a full-length novel, um, but that was 2006, I think. I wrote that as the novel, and and I couldn't get it published. I still had my agent at that point, and she uh, and um, Natural Causes got shortlisted for the CWA Debut Dagger yep. uh, on the basis of that, the back of that. Publishers really wanted to see it, so my agent got very excited and was sending it out to loads of people, and then I kept kept getting these rave rejections, as I call them. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, all, all, all the publishers said that they were all coming back so you could the writing's really good we really love the story and the characters and stuff but we just can't sell um a police procedural with supernatural overtones in it uh you know the, the ghosts and the ghouls and stuff people won't won't buy crime books um that have that and and that was so it kind of i, I kind of stalled at that point um and not helped by the fact that it uh, was 2008 um, when the second. I'd written the second book uh, in the series. It had been shortlisted for the W Dagger again. Uh, publishers had liked it and rejected it. And then I was just kind of trying to think out what I'm going to do next. And um, my my mum and dad were killed in a car accident. Right. So that that kind of uh, knocked the wind out of my sails for a couple of years. Um, and that's why I ended up moving back from Wales up to Scotland to take on the, the family farm. Which is what I do now, but I didn't write anything for about two or three years um, you know, that was kind of my my grieving process yeah. um, and, it, and that's when i I then um decided to self publish natural causes and and the book of souls just to kind of keep my hand in as it were
1: and and making that decision to self publish um did you and you know did you do research on what you need to do to self publish and get a cover designed and all this sort of stuff uh, you know did you build up an email list what what steps did you go through to do that
2: i didn't do much in the way of marketing but i did i did a lot of research into how to create an ebook um it helped that i'd uh, when i was in wales i spent a lot of time working at, uh, as a as a um a web a website right. developer and stuff so i, I was kind of quite technical technological techn- technically savvy technologically savvy I don't know uh, anyway I knew how to do it um, and and I I did a little bit of research into you know the best ways to go about loading stuff up to the, the I mean this was 2011 it was quite early in the in the kindle mm-hmm. years mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things that I picked up from from another author was the idea of giving away a book a first book in a series in the hope that people would then buy subsequent books in the series yeah. and so that was my only marketing strategy really uh, I did commission someone to do some covers for me um, that was the only thing I, I having looked at, at self-published books and the, the one thing that was really noticeable was just how bad most of the covers yeah. were yeah. you know yeah. done by a by a, you know teenage nephew with crayons or something <laughs> and I thought it, it's the first thing that people see so yeah um, and I was lucky because I at that point uh, I knew quite a lot of people in publishing, um, one of whom was Al Guthrie, um, who's uh, quite a good crime writer himself, but he's also an agent. Uh, and he had self-published some of his um, short stories and novellas and had used a, an American-based um, cover artist um, called JT um, Introduced me to him, JT came up with some brilliant... Um, cover ideas for my books. We went with them and it just gave them that little extra edge. Um, I mean,
0: and and they, because they went on then to find incredible success. You know, they, they've, I think, am hmm. I right in saying to date, they've sold well over 350,000 of them. I mean, just the, a really huge impact.
2: It was, this is the bizarre thing. I put, I put out Natural Causes, the first book, uh, almost exactly 10 years ago. It was February, 2012. Uh, and, to start with it was I, I was charging money for it it was like pound 99 or something yeah. and i was selling you know five or six copies a week um which i yeah you know, i was i thought that was pretty good for something you know, no one had ever heard of me uh, yeah. and i was happy with that but the, the the plan had always been to make it free but back then you couldn't set a a, a price of zero on the kindle um amazon system um i think it's still the same now you can't actually sell your book for nothing on the Kindle except for a short term and only if you're Amazon exclusive, but what you can do, and it's against all the terms and conditions. So you get kicked off. If you do it, if if you're not careful, you can make it available free somewhere else and then get Amazon to price match it. Um, And this is what everyone was doing 10 years ago. Um, But it took two or three months for natural causes to go from a pound 99 to nothing. And as I say, it was, it was selling five or six copies a week, five or six copies a week and then it went to zero um i, I wasn't even watching when it went to zero because it took a while for amazon amazon to notice that it was free elsewhere and it suddenly went to two thousand copies a day and it oh. was and, and and i don't know why i just it just caught somebody's attention and and it just snowballed it was it was fascinating to see and um, and I did absolutely no marketing i, I at the time I, I, I was on twitter I had maybe 300 followers on twitter so I can't you know there at their door or anything. It was just the right place, the right time, very good cover and then of course I started getting really good reviews. people were, were reviewing yeah. it so that that fed into it as well and i think i think I just i made i made the books obviously good enough, but I think i was I was very lucky with my timing as well.
1: Yeah, but it also then showed that these all these publishers that said there's no market for this type of book were, were entirely wrong. I mean, it's funny, we've, we've spoken to other guests about that, that the publishing industry is so sort of monolithic in its thinking a lot of the time, with the exception of some smaller publishers maybe, but that they won't take risks on anything that isn't already done in a way and yet they want new yeah. voices to. They,
2: they, they want they want new but they don't want new yeah uh, exactly I, I mean i i can kind of understand because it it's an expensive business um mm-hmm. you know taking on a new author putting out a book uh, if you look at my books any of my books now uh the inspector mclean books and um, read the blurb on the back of them you won't find any any mention of ghosts schools mm-hmm. demons gin whatever um there's there's maybe sinister undertones or dark goings on or evil roaming the streets but um and it's not that people don't like them they they sell very well and people people keep on asking for more and they really do like that stuff but if you put on the blurb that it's a it's a poli- it seems to be a police procedural it's in the crime section yeah. but you've got mention of ghosts and supernatural stuff people will put it straight back down again and go pick up um you know something which is just straight crime fiction Mm -hmm. um so yeah publishing is small c conservative that way but they kind of have to be because otherwise they you know they produce a lovely book costs a lot of money they put a lot of marketing behind it and nobody buys it yeah
0: so do you think like it's, it's almost like you you know not just the publishers but the public themselves have these kind of set um Areas that they will go into and areas that they won't go into unless you kind of almost trick them or you or you or you pull them into an area where they weren't suspecting it was gonna go that way and they realise, Oh, I actually quite enjoy this stuff, which I would never have I would never thought I would have, but I I actually do, but you almost need to do it by, you know, surprise. By stealth,
1: yeah. By stealth, stealth.
2: yeah. I, I think very much so. Um I mean people People, you, you, when you talk to people and they say stupid, you really, what to me seems like really stupid things. Like you know, I, you know, I don't write, read books written by women. A yeah, lot of exactly. men I know say yeah. that, and and it's like, why not? You know, that's yeah. you, you're, you're and, cutting and, yourself and off.
0: And there's women who have, we've chatted to women who have had books out with a, like a yeah. letter as a first name, so that no one knows yeah. that that, that, that to, they're to, to, female. To that. And, and folks still read it, but the, mm. it's like, so you do read books by women, you just don't realize it.
2: Yeah, and and it's 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 sad that it is that way, but you yeah. just kind of have to adapt yeah. to it. Uh, and, and um, yeah, and, and my books kind of trick people in a little bit and uh, that way. And I, I just introduced these undertones of, of supernatural goings on because I like that kind of work anyway. I like that kind of story. Um, but if, if I, if I was to go out and sell them as that, it would put a lot of people off.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and obviously with the, with the success that, that the self-publish the self-publishing of these books had that eventually attracted the attention of um, a traditional publisher in the form of Penguin. I mean, it, how did that come about, and did that feel did did it feel like a sort of validation at that point? Because you'd already generated this great success mm-hmm. as a self-publisher
2: it was it was yeah it's, it's kind of that that, that last thing because i i mean i can remember i'm old enough to remember when self-publishing was called vanity publishing and yeah. it was very much yeah. frowned upon and i'm glad that it's not anymore it's i think i, I love the way kindle has opened up um publishing to to, to to anyone who really wants to have a go but um when penguin came along and i mean actually there was, there was a five-way auction for the rights and i got myself a new agent at that time as well which was which was brilliant and uh, 2012 was a very busy year. Uh, but I uh, it just um yeah, it was uh, having big publishers like Penguin and Headline and, and, and actually bidding offering me money for my work was was, was the kind of validation I think that any author yeah. wants. You know, someone someone's taking you serious, someone who's a professional is taking you seriously. And and it, it does, it gives you a huge amount of confidence um that before then I never really had. Um so and the other thing, as I found, I, with the self-publishing, I, I didn't have the time to write the books and market the books properly and, and you know, trying to expand the market uh, for them uh, and run a farm, which is, yeah. is my day yeah. job. So, um, so actually having Penguin come along and saying, we'll do all the marketing, all the publicity, we'll get the books into the bookshops and we'll do all the cover design and all the editorial and stuff, and here's a very large cheque. You know, it's a no-brainer, really. <laughs> yeah,
1: absolutely.
2: Well,
0: that, that, yeah, I mean, I wanted to ask, you know, what what changed when Penguin came onto the scene? You know, obviously, would do the editing, the revisions, would help you with that kind of stuff, and and you know, was and it, it sounds very much like it, that, that was a welcome um, change.
2: It was, yeah. I mean, I, as I say, I mean, I, I used to um, back in the day, I used to exchange manuscripts with stuart mcbride and we'd give each other feedback and stuff and that was all the feedback i ever got on my on my work so to suddenly have uh you know uh, one of the top editors at penguin going over it and coming back with feedback my agent's a very good editor in her own right as well so she'd always read me read the novels and give them feedback and the copy editors and, and proofreaders and, and getting all of this professional work going into the book um, is, is absolutely brilliant i i, I mean I, I I'd say I love it I hate it at the time but I love that the books are getting that attention because yeah. each each pass makes it better um so i'm'm I'm, yeah I'm really happy to be be published I, I mean no, no disrespect to people who are who do you know are entirely self-published. Mm-hmm. Um, most of the the top ones all use you know they they, they use professional editors and pay them and I, I think you need you you always need that second and third pair of eyes on your work mm-hmm.
1: i think that's definitely true and i think it, it, it's also important that that second or third pair of eyes is is it is it independent in a way or or yeah it's step not away your mom. From, yeah it's not <laughs> your mom but not even like your your friends and stuff like that i think getting someone that's Code to it can can mm. really open up a new perspective on, on yeah. things, and, and and that's another has, great thing. Sorry, about, yeah,
2: sorry, I interrupted. Another great thing about um, the self the explosion of self publishing is it's it's there's been an explosion of of really good independent um, freelance editors yeah. out there now as well. So it's a whole yeah. industry setting itself up. I've got quite a few friends who do that and are very good at it.
1: Yeah, definitely. And has your process has your actual writing process changed at all? from when you were uh, being self-published to to now do, how, you know do you hmm. work through your drafts more quickly do you do a first draft and send it in for for notes or or is it pretty much the same as it always was
2: i think the main thing is that everything is much quicker i i, I have to get um i've got deadlines uh I, i've somewhat madly um, this book that came out this uh, just a couple, just last week mm-hmm. is my twentieth published novel. And the first one was published nine years ago. Yeah. So, um, uh, some years I had three books out, and uh, and whilst I, I had written a few of them in the past, I, uh, you know, I just seem to have been constantly writing. So the deadlines get get worse and worse. Uh, I do like that anyway because if I was given a deadline two years hence, I would do nothing for fifteen yeah. months, and then See. and then write the rest of, in in the last nine months. Like panicking, uh, and and I still do to a certain extent. I need I need to have a deadline, um, but my my writing process. I'm not much of a planner. I, I don't really plot much. I've got I've got a whiteboard and a notebook, um, and quite often I'll have a word document for for for, for the project, whichever book it is, mm-hmm. which is just uh, almost a stream of consciousness thing. If I come up with an idea, I will just type it in there, so it's always always there available. Uh, and mostly I make it up as I go along. Uh, and I've I've always been happiest doing that. It does mean that my first drafts are a little bit ropey. Um, and, and my first draft, no one ever gets to see apart from right. me. I'll read that through, look at all the notes I've taken whilst I've been writing it, make it readable. And then that goes to my agent and my editor. Um, and so it's really only a second draft going to agent and editor. Um, and then their notes um, they usually they they have a long lunch um and combine their notes and, and come back you know, attack me from two directions at once <laughs> as it were uh, but actually, and, and then that'll be my my major structural redraft uh, and at that point it's off to the sort of copy editors and proofreaders and that's pretty much nailed down um the finished book um which is is quite a quick process yeah now. it's so easy. um
0: and of course, at the same time as 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 writing, you've you've mentioned you're also a farmer um, based in Fife, not far from Edinburgh, I don't think, from mm-hmm. where, where we're based, um, and that's a demanding job. You know, at, at times of year, you work in random hours, and and how do you how do you juggle, farm and writing?
2: Uh, well, I, one of the best things um, I did as a, a as a as an author and a farmer was not having any children, so I don't have any <laughs> anything else to do but the farming <laughs> and the writing. Um, I. I have cut back. It's a livestock farm. I I had um, 100 uh, breeding ewes and and, and about 30-odd breeding cows. I've got Highland cattle here. Um, And originally, when I took over the farm after my my dad died, um, I was going to build up numbers to to, to much more than that, But but because the books took off and, frankly, pay an awful lot better than farming. Um, I... I have cut back the numbers. Uh, we we had a, a new a new neighbour a new moved into the farm next door about five years ago, um, and he was looking for some some grazing so he could increase his sheep numbers. He came and asked if I've got any spare grazing. And I said I can rent you some grazing and I can sell you some sheep. So he took all my sheep. So I've now only got the cows, uh, which are a lot easier to work with, a lot less work. Um, what does suffer on the farm? Um, is I'm not so good at mending fences, and the recent storms we lost a lot of trees down over mm-hmm. uh, uh, they've come down over fences, and there's a lot of work to do there, which I I'm going to have to pay somebody else to do because it just takes too much time. Um, so all those little little jobs like that don't get done. But there are times of year uh, we, we'll be carving in in May, and I'll be I'll be pretty full on um, then doing that. But they, that doesn't mean that I'm not thinking about what I'm writing at the time um you know if i'm in a field waiting for a cow to carve i've got my notebook out and i could be scribbling down notes or i could be thinking through how the next bit of the plot's going to work um so the do the two do kind of dovetail together yeah. quite well
1: i can seen that and you, you mentioned obviously your, your 20th novel uh, all that lives um just out do you, do you want to tell us a little bit about that
2: um yes it's um it's the twelfth of the Inspector McLean books. Um, I, I have another crime series and and the fantasy. There's five fantasy books. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it kind of it starts off with um, the discovery of a, a of a skeletal skeletal remains in in a pit, deep pit underneath the where they're excavating for the tram um, extension down in the Old Leith Kirkyard, mm-hmm. which has actually actually happened. And I there was a, a report in the news a couple of years about. Back when they were doing the archaeological exploration before they concreted everything over for the tram lines, and they discovered lower down than the Kirkyard, um, so beneath all the proper Christian graves, a pit with a with a a woman's skeletal remains of a woman who appears to have just been like murdered and chucked in there or something. And I I just thought that's a brilliant idea for you know for, for, for. you know a crime fiction novel mm. i not really they worked out the bones have been down there for about 750 800 years so it doesn't really work for a contemporary crime novel um and i wasn't about to write a historical crime but i did think about it and i thought well what if they you know, they found this body and the police aren't interested it's it's ancient bones it's, it's it's not interesting at all but then on the other side of the city where they're doing some building putting up new buildings and they're digging digging a trench for the foundations they discover another body almost disposed of almost identically but this one's only been in the ground for 30 years and then suddenly it's oh what hell's going on here Mm -hmm. and um so that was kind of the spark for the story and i had to think of more more of a crime you know contemporary crime thing going on at the same time so there's a there's a uh a new drug which has hit the streets that the police don't really know very much about but People are overdosing on it and they're having violent, fatal seizures. Um, and poor old Inspector McLean, Tony McLean, is trying to sort out that whilst everything else is going to hell in a handbasket as well, um, which is pretty much the plot to all of my books. It
0: sounds like you're getting a, you get a lot of your ideas. Is it from anywhere? Is it, is it, is it, you're always just kind of keeping your mind open for
2: free Absolutely. Or a news article or something. Um, I mean, the the, the previous one, um, bury them deep. Uh, no, no. Uh, uh, what will burn? Which is, uh, th- there was a lot of stuff in the news about. Well, uh, and there still is recently about the you know the persecution of witches in Scotland mm-hmm. in, in 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 the in the 16th and 17th century, and um, and I thought, well, you know, witches. That kind of fits in really well with my spooky undertones yeah. to my books anyway, uh, and I and I wrote the book based on the idea that modern day witches uh, and, and they're up there rather than the which find the general and, and all that sort of stuff, you've got the, the, um, the men's rights activists who kind of take that role. So that, that was kind of the, 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 the basis for that book. And and, and it, that starts off with the horror, horrific brutal murder of an old lady in her home um, who may or may not have been a witch. Um, the book before that bury them deep, uh, came about that the, the spark for that was two random Twitter conversations colliding <laughs> one we were talking about I was talking to someone about um, Scottish folk horror so and the, and, the, and the legend of Sawney Bean came up mm-hmm. um, which is a wonderful story to use for for my kind of book but somebody else was going on about um, dogging in in <laughs> uh, in a, in and around uh, I can't remember what it is um, what the weather where the, where the The police had had to close off some car park. I think it's um, Braid Hills Golf Course or something like that, somewhere like that, which was apparently a really popular dogging spot. And and the two things collided. And I thought, you've got cannibals and you've got dogging. Uh, (laughs) And and literally, I will start a novel with with that, with with nothing more than that. And that's kind of how I like to do it, to just kind of take two completely random and absurd ideas and mash them together. And one of the things that really works... Because I'm writing series fiction, so I've already got my character, my main characters. Yeah. I've got Tony yeah. McLean and the the placement around him, and I've got a cast of you know supporting cast of uh, one or two villains who keep on coming back, and and so you just kind of all I really need to do is find an interesting case for them to work on, yeah. and 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 that's how I can write the you know, my first drafts and my first and second drafts can come out so quickly um, because I've already got these characters. I don't have to spend a lot of time working out who they are.
1: Yes, as I suppose that's right. And and, and you don't have that um, sort of world building that, that, that you would have if it was a completely fresh set of mm. characters and, and place and everything. But I wanted to ask about writing series fiction like that because obviously each one needs to be accessible to someone that only picks up the latest book. But do you have a sort of idea of how you see Tony McLean developing through, throughout these novels, or, or do you just take it a book at a time?
2: I, I just really take it a book at a time. I I, I made the mistake when I, um, after the first three books had come out, because uh, the first Penguin Penguin did, did a deal with me for three books, two of which I'd already written, and the third one was almost finished when I signed the contract. So very, very quickly did a second deal for three more books. Uh, which was brilliant, and I was really excited about that. And I thought, taking a cue from how I used to write comics, I'll, I'll, I could do three books with, a, with an arc working through all three books. Mm-hmm. Um, and it it didn't work at all because these books are coming out a year apart and, mm-hmm. and people got annoyed with a plot point that was unresolved in the first book and didn't get resolved until the end of the third book. Um So I do now very much try to keep um, all of the books... Uh, independent of each other. And you can pick up all that lives. If you, ha- if you haven't read any of the 11 before, you'll still get a really good read, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah, I might be a little biased here. Nothing will be... <laughs> you won't not understand anything You yeah. think, well, I've missed this from a previous book. Yeah. If something does need to be known, then I will, I will make it obvious. I will, I will reference it in the text. So without... I, and I try hard not to be too just explaining stuff because yeah. uh, I, I, it needs to come out naturally in the flow of the story but I just try to keep things um, each book independent as it were um, so it's a series you've got the same characters coming along each time and obviously they get older they get injured in one book so that injury will be referenced in later books mm-hmm. uh, and, th- and things like that um, but I think if you tried to plan a for novels if you tried to plan a series from start to finish um with crucial points that mean you have to read all of the books um it it's it, for crime fiction i don't think it works it works obviously yeah. for fantasy the my fantasy series is a five book series and if you pick up book three without having read, read, read books one and two you won't have a clue what's going on but the whole thing what well, that was all planned as a yeah a, and, and fantasy t- tends to go that way
1: um, yeah it's a sort of reader expectation thing as well isn't it yeah. i think yeah. Um, yeah. fantasy or sci-fi readers or something will understand that if it's the second book in a the series they'll, they'll need to pick up all of them but but yeah crime fiction is more the, the, the expectation is that you can just go and pick up any yeah. book and, and enjoy that on its own and I, I wanted to ask about the fantasy novels um, because obviously you said you wrote uh, some of those prior to being published um, do you enjoy jumping between these different worlds
2: I did. It was, actually it was really useful that because um, I'd written the first three books in the fantasy mm-hmm. series. Um, I wrote the first two before I wrote any of the Tony McLean books, and then I wrote the third one. Um, and when I got to the end of the third one, realized I wasn't hadn't got a publisher for them. I just parked them because I didn't really want to spend another two years writing the rest of them yeah. um, and never find a publisher for them. But my my editor who'd bought the Tony McLean books. Um, asked me at one one time when we, we, we had a meeting he said oh, if I, had i written anything else and i said well there's this fantasy series um, that i'd love to finish sometime and, and he said oh, i'd love to read that i thought he was just humoring me so i didn't do anything yeah. about it then he he pestered me for it and i sent him the three books um it was i think it was the uh, it was uh, easter weekend of 2013 or something and he read them all over the, uh, all three of them over the weekend and well, came well. back with a very a, a very generous offer. Um, to publish them, uh, which was brilliant. I was absolutely stoked. But then I had to think, well, how the hell was I going to finish this? Because it was about 10 years had passed from parking book three to starting to write book four. Um, But um, I just kind of knuckled down and did it. But it meant that I could write a Tony McLean book and then I could write a fantasy book. And then I could write a Tony McLean book. Because I'd, I'd done three Tony McLean books in a row and my head was just kind of exploding uh, I couldn't I, I just couldn't getting the characters confused and stuff so it's really nice to have something else to do to be able to chop and change I'd hate to just be writing one character uh, yeah. over and over again uh, you know producing a book a year yeah um, is it hard
0: to, to oh sorry is it hard to jump between writing crime and fantasy you know trying to get in the headspace for each because it must be very very different but is it obviously and you enjoy that that jumping back and forth but is, yeah. it, is it hard
2: i i didn't find it hard i haven't done any fantasy for a while now i've been because i had i i've got my second crime fiction series yeah. which is kind of interlinked with tony mcclain's world but yeah. not completely so i i've been switching between the two of those uh, and um but um I didn't actually find it hard at all to switch between the two. I, I do read a lot of fantasy still. Um, you know, that's one of the great things about being a published author is you get sent loads of other people's books to to you know, to, to read and 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 write nice things about. But it's always crime fiction um, because I'm known for crime fiction, so I very very rarely get sent any fantasy at all. Um, and so all all the crime fiction books that I get sent to read. And most of them are really good, but it feels like homework. It yeah. feels like the set text at school. Whereas if I'm reading a fantasy novel, it's something that I've picked up for myself. Um, so I tend to read fantasy to to, to refresh myself now. And I, I do really want to write some more. I just need to find the time.
1: <laughs> and I, I was I was going to ask as well, because obviously, as you mentioned, you started um, way back when writing a strip for 2000 AD. I mean, would you would you still be interested in writing a comic or a graphic novel or something like that?
2: I I would very much love to write more comics. And I have actually had conversations with comics, um, publishers, um, but nothing's nothing concrete yet. Um, but that would probably be, I don't think necessarily crime fiction comics because that's quite a niche market. Um, I'd, I'd love to go full on superhero. I think that'd be great, great fun. Um, but then you have to catch
1: up with all the continuity of the...
2: Well, I don't know. It depends whether you... I mean, if I was to say, you know, if someone was to offer me a chance to, to do a run on Superman or something, I'd be completely scuppered because I haven't read Superman for yeah. years. Um, I'd probably make it with the X-Men because I still do read comics. Um, but, uh, uh, yeah, I, I think doing something standalone, um, completely yeah. sort yeah. of from, from fresh will, will be quite fun. Um, like it, mostly, it's a it's a time thing because I, I I've been on a producing a Tony McLean book novel one mm-hmm. every year for the last eight eight nine years and other books in between and and and, and that does you know that and the farming takes up most of my time. Um, this is why I I keep on getting people saying when's there going to be another dragon book? And, <laughs> and I say well when I can find some time okay. or clone myself.
1: <laughs>
0: and we've we've seen a lot of people. In well, I mean, a lot of people, but a number of people, especially high-profile authors, John Grisham comes to mind, who kind of went back to the self-pub world or, or or tried the self-pub world for themselves for the first time, and and dipped a toe in it at least. And is that something you'd be interested in going back to and and and, and putting something out yourself and having more control over it? Or, or are you happy just to stay completely with you know?
2: The well, funnily world? enough, um, my books haven't done brilliantly well in the states. Um, and the first three were 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 bought um and and published and the first one did really well um and i got invited on to um the late late show with craig ferguson back in 2014 which was brilliant Brilliant. and and slightly slightly bizarre um but they then they kind of they didn't really follow up with the marketing on that and and the books didn't do terribly well so um i couldn't get a publisher for the later ones um and they haven't been interested in my fantasy books at all so i i but I, I do have a readership out there. And so rather than having them having, either having to buy them from the UK or pirate them, I self publish all of my titles in the US. S oh, I'm uh, so still, I'm still, I'm still doing that and I'm still using JT Lindrews to do the covers for me. Um, so I, I, I but the, the idea of maybe, you know, doing a self published book, um, in the UK or you're know, doing the whole thing from scratch, um, I don't know know why I would do it because I, well, if I wrote a novel um, and no publisher was interested in it, um, then maybe I'd put it out there. Um, But otherwise I'm in in the fortunate position. Um, I'm a well enough known author that um, there's always, there's likely to be some publisher there who'll do it for me. Mm -hmm. Uh, And as I say, okay, I don't have quite so much control over it and they're taking a a big chunk of the money um, from the book sales and stuff. But they're also doing all of the marketing and the and, and all the all the back office editorial stuff and all the things which I just don't have time to do. Uh, and, and it was it was great fun back in you know, back in twenty twelve and, and and when I first started doing the self publishing, it was it was really interesting and but it was very hard work. Uh, and it's it's a question of you know, juggling and, and working out what's the best the best use of my time now. Yeah,
1: I mean I think that's right. It can. It, it becomes another job mm. almost if, if you're self-publishing your own book because there's the writing I, I but want, then you have to concentrate yeah. on that as well
2: i wouldn't want to put anyone off trying self-publishing if they mm. want to have a go it's i mean it's so much easier now than it used to be uh it's not sneered at in, in quite the same way as it used to be back in the old vanity yeah. publishing days and you know if you burn with a passion to to write and you want to get your stories out there and you can't yeah, you, know, you can't find an agent or a publisher to take you on. Absolutely do it for yourself. Go and do it for yourself. But 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 don't do it because you want to become rich and famous. Do it because you yeah. love telling stories. That's yeah
0: uh, so um what's coming up next then? What's what's next on on the on the agenda?
2: Um I'm currently in negotiations with my publisher um for because the all that lives was the last one in my current contract. Um, so um, once that's settled, um, I shall be casting my mind on what's going to happen to Tony McLean next. Uh, I don't want to give away too many spoilers because they, because not many people have read the book yet. But um, something fairly momentous happens at the end of it, which got me an awful lot of people emailing in. So is this the last one in the series? Okay. Um, um, it's not. There will be more, <laughs> uh, and, and and that's what I'm I'm going to work on that, and 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 also. Um, Try, you know, try and sort out a few comic scripts as well.
1: Um, what was the last book that you read?
2: The last, the last book that I read is called um, "This is where you put me on the spot because I can never remember book titles." And I, um, <laughs> I know, as um, should
1: always tell people, because yeah. all our well, guests have this problem. It's, <laughs>
2: again it was it was a it was a proof copy and it's it's uh it's called it's called still life uh i think about ak turner ali Turner uh, it's the second in her cassie raven series uh, cassie raven is a mortuary assistant in in camden lives in camden in london and she's she's just this brilliant character i absolutely loved the book uh the first book um was, was superb as well and um she has this thing she, she's we're never quite sure whether it actually is a, a, a kind of supernatural ability, but every so often when she's she's tending to the dead bodies in the mortuary, uh, getting them ready for for, for post mortem and stuff, um, sometimes she feels like they're speaking to her. Like they just say a simple sentence like, um, "I didn't die easily" or something like that, and 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 she, being a naturally nosy person, then has to go and find out what you know what truly killed this person and and i just have those two book, two books in the series so far and um and they're they're, they're absolutely brilliant so oh, that nice. was the last book i read yeah
0: nice and uh what about the last film that you watched
2: last film that i watched oh god you're really putting me on the spot there i don't watch a lot <laughs> of telly so i don't watch films on the telly um the last film that i went to the cinema to see um, given that we've been in a pandemic for the yeah, last couple of exactly. years. Um, I went and saw Marvel's Eternals. That's what I saw. Okay. Um, oh, yeah. what was your thoughts in, on that? Because I, I was in, in in London for the launch of my previous book, um, back in November, I think it was. And um, and I had an evening to myself and I didn't know what to do. And so I went to the enormous IMAX in Leicester Square. Yeah. And there was about me and about five other people in there. So it was great. No problems with COVID or anything. Yeah, yeah. and. On the big screen, on the IMAX, biggest IMAX theatre I have ever been in, it was really good. It was half an hour too long, but it was yeah. really enjoyable. And I, I think that's um, that that's I think most people have said that's a problem with that film. It's just a little bit too long. Um,
0: yeah, I, I I I felt there was a really good film in there somewhere and mm. there was parts of it I really, really liked and it kinda of clicked together, but um, there was parts of it it felt very much it felt a lot of exposition y and love yeah, I loved explaining stuff quite clunkily and it didn't, I was quite I remember it ended and I was quite annoyed because I was like I feel like there was, there's a really good I know, that, I know I've know. i read some of the comics and the really good characters and stuff and I love the idea of these gods living through history but yeah I was, I was, it didn't quite work for me, I was a bit annoyed at. I th-
2: think it could have made a really good 12 part series
0: yeah, yeah, in fact there's so much story there isn't there yeah. It, it, yeah, exactly, I totally agree, a TV show would have been a nicer way to do it I yeah, think
1: it, it also suffers from Something and it, this happens in the comics as well. But, um, that you know, there's a giant thing emerging from the ocean, and none of the Avengers or anything turn up yeah. to <laughs> to try and see what's happening. So, there's too, almost too many characters for them to deal with now. But, yeah, yeah. um, I'll always go and watch these films. Um, <laughs> it, it, I, I
2: love, I love all this because I, cause I grew up reading comics, comics yeah. and my thing. I, I, I love this new age of, of comics, oh, yeah. movies. Uh, I mean, some of them are really, really bad, but they're they're, they're great fun. Uh, it's it's nice to see kind of my my geekdom taking yeah. over the world. No, no
1: I, I'm very much on <laughs> board with it. I'm very much looking forward to the new Batman film. So, yeah. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, yeah. well,
0: that's yeah. kind of the, the the very very last thing we always do is a super quick fire either or, and I always say there's no right answers apart from one. So we'll start off with crime or fantasy.
2: Fantasy
1: uh US or UK comics
2: UK comics uh
0: TV but, or cinema oh sorry can I, a UK there? comics yeah, can expand, i think yeah.
2: pro- probably circa 1985 to 1995 yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh TV or cinema cinema uh night owl or early bird
2: night owl definitely for and a farmer, I'm book. rubbish at getting up in my in the <laughs>
0: And the last one, real book or ebook?
2: I prefer real book, but um uh, yeah, ebooks are really, really useful when I'm traveling. Not that I traveled much in the last couple of years, but uh yeah, no, I, I like I like paper. Actually, if I turned my camera around, you'd see this room is just stacked with bookshelves. <laughs> um so
1: Excellent. Well that, that that's yes, the majority yeah. Yeah, everyone, always, always looking picks, for eBooks. Everyone yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> always a a dying breed over here in the ebook camp. But I,
2: I mean given that my you know the Kindle my career is, is basically based on, you know, Amazon Kindle kickstart of my career, so I can't be I can't diss ebooks too much. But I do like to be able to pick something up. <laughs>
1: So uh, have you seen the new Batman? We just mentioned it I there with James. Yeah.
0: I have indeed seen the new Batman. I thought it was absolutely fantastic. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed it, it. I have to say
1: myself as well. Um, it is it, obviously a long film, but... Yeah, I thought
0: it was a tad over long. I, and and the, without going into spoilers, obviously, I thought the kind of... Like pretty much every superhero film feels it has to do had a really big kind of bombastic ending. And I almost would have preferred a smaller... Uh, more introspective ending to it. I Although, it was quite a yeah, quiet film a lot the way through. I, th- I think
1: that's right. I did like the more detective side of it. and Yeah, I loved that um, I think, I suppose, the difference from other superhero films with that ending, without any spoilers, is that it doesn't just go into that sort of big Marvel CGI bash fest. No, it's definitely... You know. it, no, that's true. So, it's, um, I,
0: it's, it's definitely not a case of just, for the sake of it, there is definitely a point yeah. to big... Ending. So uh, yeah, yeah.
1: Anyway, we're we're talking yeah, about <laughs> the Batman there, right? But...
0: And it also, it's just I have to say before we go, it was it's great to see the film version of Batman finally leaning into the detective yeah. angle that the comics are always do so well, and the film versions have never really done any kind of justice for. So it was great, and the him working the case with Gordon was just like, yeah. That, I thought the mad, cast was, was superb, Fabulous and stuff. yeah, the interaction
1: between the characters was superb. And there was I liked also just not the. Not just leaning into the detective side of things, but also the leaning into the the comic side of things in a way. With there's a there's a narration, it's sort of voiceover yeah, that he gives at the start, over, yeah, and yeah. it's um, it's very much like the comics. You always see a bit into mm-hmm. the head of Batman yeah. when you're reading the comics, and
0: a different take on Bruce Wayne. Yeah, I mean, it was. Than the kind of play I don't. We're going to go. It's, I, could do a I know. It's, it's, we'll do a separate Batman would, podcast at mind. another time.
1: <laughs> but um, thanks very much to James for coming on to the podcast. I uh, really appreciate him taking the time to do that. All That Lives is out and you can get it uh, at your local bookshop or online. We'll put a link in the podcast description. Um, so uh, thanks again to James for, for taking the time to come on. And uh, next week we've got another great guest in the form of Fonda Lee.
0: Bonda Lee, she was a fantastic guest. She's written the awesome Jade City uh, series of fantasy Yeah, the, the, books, gr- the Green uh, which I know Bones saga, as they're called. Yeah,
1: anymore. they're really brilliant. Uh, sort of, they're fantasy books, but not in any sort of way that I've ever read fantasy before. It's more like a sort of mob movie uh, with some hints of magic in it. it really they really are great books so it was really fun chatting to Fonda so please do tune in for that episode if you enjoyed today's episode please do take the time to give us a rating and review on your favourite podcast app
0: and of course if anyone has any questions or comments they can always get in touch by sending us a tweet in the Twitter machine to at UK page one is our new Twitter That's handle. That's correct, so yeah, I forgot to mention This will that. probably solve the problem It much easier yeah. now. I'm sure the plugins will be Yeah, exactly. Or they can get in touch by, by email, which is uh, podcast, at rightgear. No, yeah. podcast at rightgear.com. No, podcast uh, at rightgear.com. No, rightgear.co.uk. So close, Tarek. Podcast at rightgear.co.uk. Yeah, there you go. That is the email address. Um, but otherwise, have
1: a great <laughs> week, and we'll see you next episode.
0: See you later i